Yeah, like I was like, I don't need to have letters behind my name to give me some sort of credibility as an, an educated queer. I'm living a queer life. <laughs> Sarah, this is your mixtape. Why don't we call it Morbid But Cool? Hello, listeners, and welcome to This Is Your Mixtape, a podcast where, every episode, we take a close look at someone's life as told through five songs. I'm your host, Michael Collins, a kind of reverse Kirby, looks big and tough, but is a marshmallow. Today, we're chatting with Sarah. Sarah is a professional beer wrangler living in Vancouver with their wife and homicidal house cat. When not sampling the finest craft beer in the city, they co-host a Xena the Warrior Princess podcast called Warriors, Bards, and Brews with their wife. I had a great chat with Sarah. We bonded over growing up on the poor celtic eastern fringe of Canada, being queer in a straight society, feminist rage, all kinds of fun things. I hope you'll enjoy the chat. Hi, welcome to the show, Sarah. Hey, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So you host a podcast about Xena Warrior Princess. I do, with my wife, which I think is like as gay as I can possibly get in my daily life. <laughs> uh, a good uh, good couple of ours had uh, Zena and Gabrielle on the top of their wedding cake. So I oh, think it's a, it's, a, it's a good tradition. <laughs> uh, no, our 10-year anniversary is in July. Maybe I'll try and do that as like <laughs> one of our big events. So what sort of angle do you take on the show in your podcast? Uh, it's more of a, a live reaction podcast. Like we'll put an episode on and um, there'll be audio um, in the background and we can do commentary, make jokes, discuss, you know, why this is super gay, even though it was very subtextual and even discuss queer media now as, you know, compared to Xena in the 90s. Um, basically, it's just us making jokes for an hour. <laughs> Well, it, sound, it sounds fun and interesting. Um, so you are currently living in Vancouver, I believe. Yes, I am. I am living yeah. in, in Mount Pleasant. Ah, <laughs> I think every city I've ever lived in has had a Mount Pleasant. I was going to say, I think this is like my third time living in a Mount Pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sort of leads me to ask about other places you've lived, which I think is probably a nice segue into discussing the first song that you have for us. Yeah, I, uh, I lived in Calgary for a few years, but I am uh, born and raised Nova Scotian. Mm-hmm. And, and a very particular part of Nova Scotia, I believe. Cape Breton Island. Yes. Well, why don't we get to our first song then? What do we have? Uh, we have Mist Covered Mountains. It's, I don't, I'm not even going to attempt to say the Gaelic name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I speak phonetic Gaelic badly. Uh, <laughs> but it's, a, it's an old traditional um, Scottish song, uh, very haunting, very mournful, as most of them tend to be. And it's, the gist of it is someone is, is leaving home and is, is you know, missing their home. And then they're going back and they're looking forward to it. And I actually have a very large tattoo <laughs> of a section of lyrics um and the version I've, I've chosen for this one is a very specific one it's heather rankin of the rankin family Um, I have no idea how I came to be in possession of their first tape. I think I stole it from my grandparents. Probably. Yeah. Let's, let's go with that. I stole it from my grandparents. And uh, I was just blown away as a very young age that, A, Gaelic was a thing, because I was not really aware of that. Even though I was in Cape Breton, that wasn't really trendy at the time. Mm. So when I heard the song, I was just like, What? What is this? This is gorgeous. What are they saying? I don't know what any of this means. And then my piano teacher, thankfully, saw my my love of Scottish music and taught me the song. And then every year for, I'd say, 10 years, she would give me like the leveled up version to learn. Uh. That's great. Um, did she make those arrangements herself? Or she are did. there actually? Oh, that's. She would handwrite it. That is amazing. That is that is a dedicated teacher. You must have been a favorite student. Uh, I was, yeah, I was. One. She said she said that. Don't tell everybody else, but you're one of my favorites. And in a, in a really weird, morbid Cape Breton humor kind of way, mm -hmm. she told me uh, my last day, the last song I played for was Miss Covered Mountains. And she's sitting sitting there beside me, and she's looking a little weepy. And she said, "I don't care where the fuck you. Oh, can, I swear, can I swear? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, we she, are a swear positive podcast. Amazing. She looks at me dead in the eye and says, I don't give a fuck where you are in the world. When I die, you're coming home and you're playing that fucking song at my funeral. <laughs> 
Oh, wow. And I was like, cool, morbid, but cool. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think a lot of people listening may not know much, if anything, about Cape Breton. So you've just characterized it a little bit uh, for us (laughs) as having sort of a a morbid, fatalistic kind of streak to it. But why don't you give a little crash course in Cape Breton for listeners who might not know? Yeah, it's it's the island part of Nova Scotia. Um, It was settled by uh, Irish immigrants, Scottish immigrants, French immigrants, English immigrants. And we kind of clung to that that traditional culture for years. Um, but, be, you know, as, as things modernized, traditions kind of fell by the wayside. But there's been a pretty intense Celtic music revival in the last, I'd say, two decades. And um, there's a Celtic music festival every year called Celtic Colors. Uh, it's a very big tourism draw. And as a, as a region, and you being from Newfoundland, you know that we're not a bunch of rich people on the coast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're, not, we're not rolling in the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, grew up, growing up kind of, well, very poor, in a poor area, with not much to do, music was the thing I turned to, and a lot of people did as well. Um, fiddle culture and, and step dancing and highland dancing that was all very prevalent in small parts of the island but now it's getting bigger and now it's more popular and i'm actually really pleased to see it kind of growing again you can correct me i actually don't know if this is the case or not are there people in cape breton who speak scots gaelic like from childhood still or or is it just people who have decided to learn it as adults as a way to sort of reclaim the culture I think there's both, actually. I know there's um, little pockets on the western side uh, of the island near, um, like, Mabu and Inverness. You know, we've still known all the names from Scotland. (laughs) um, People do speak it there. Some of them are older people who've learned it from their parents and their grandparents. Uh, But there's been a a really big resurgence in in the youth, I guess you could say. Um, And one thing my wife noticed when we were driving around one day, she said, all the highway signs here are not English and French. They're English and I think Gaelic. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess they changed. So once you hit a certain point on Cape Breton Island, they changed all of the Trans-Canada signs, like, here's Mabu, and then it's underneath it, it's it's the way to spell it traditionally. I'm relating this to myself as a Newfoundlander, because Cape Breton and Newfoundland are kind of similar. And we're neighbors with some yes. ocean between us. <laughs> and we're both, as you mentioned, poorer parts of the country yeah. that have sort of been insular in the figurative sense of the word as well as the literal sense of the word um and like growing up as like a queer kid it was sometimes it put me at odds with that culture even as i really strongly identified with it Uh, is that similar to your experience oh yeah yeah i mean growing up as as gay in a small town and especially in a very small very largely catholic part of the world it was just like cool 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 i don't belong here Mm. and yeah, it was just it was very difficult. Like I love the Celtic culture and I love and I embrace it as part of my heritage. And I think in some way, like my latching onto it was a bit of a teenage rebellion because my parents hated that music. Mm-hmm. Like my mom calls it that fiddly shit. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in some way it was like a rebellion thing, but it was also like I I didn't fit in fit in really in a small town. So I found this music and others um, as like a place to kind of just like park myself and have an identity and, and, and relate to it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that your parents rejecting it was related to, well, do you have any theories as to why? Oh, they just don't like it. They're just metalheads. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair enough. There's, <laughs> I was looking for some deep sort of like cultural erasure kind of thing. I was like, nah, they no. just like metal. <laughs> okay. They're just super into metal. Like I grew up listening to like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and <laughs> dad went through a really weird like new wave phase for a while when I was like three or so. I don't know. <laughs> but their, their styles and their, what they listen to influenced me a little bit, but I definitely went off the beaten path and like found my own, my own home and my own fandoms later in life. Yeah. The story of your teacher rescoring this song for you is really touching. It um, is, yeah. So I suppose when you listen to it now, it's charged with a lot of feeling. It is, yeah. And especially now that I'm on the other side of the country from where I grew up and where I live lived for so long. Yeah, I moved back for grad school for a few years, and I really kind of like remembered. Oh, yeah, I love I love being out here, mm-hmm. but it's still it's still in a place I'm going to live permanently. Yeah. What do you love about it? Ah, well, the culture, um, Halifax uh, is a, it's such a fun town. Oh my God, the trouble I got into in Halifax. <laughs> that is its own podcast. Uh, <laughs> Will we hear a little bit about that soon? Uh, possibly. <laughs> okay, I'm going to file that away. <laughs> um, there, I didn't realize there were security cameras on the wharf and I probably shouldn't have flashed things. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, 
uh, yeah, Halifax is a great town. It's a good party town. It's it's young and it's growing and it's changing. Um, but the weather is not ideal. It's snowing in Vancouver today, and I can just sense the panic creeping in everywhere. And I'm like, it's fine. It's just a little bit of snow. Just drive a little slower. It's fine. Just calm down. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's you know I can go to a pub and hear fiddles, or I can go to a brewery and drink some good beer and you know see five people I know. Um, but that smallness is also something I'm not super keen on. Mm-hmm. I like the anonymity of living in Vancouver, where you know I do go to my usual places and I see the same people, but no one is really like in my business all the time, like <laughs> is in the East Coast sometimes. I mean, Halifax is is a different case than Cape Breton, but yeah. I find one thing I like about Toronto versus Newfoundland is there's the diversity is refreshing, uh, and <laughs> the downside of the sort of sense of community back home is the fact that it can be difficult to encounter things that are different. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I went home for Celtic Colors this year, my mother was just amazed that you know you have to go to this this place they they serve Indian food or this place has this kind of food, and she was just blown away that you know Cape Breton is finally catching up with with the rest of the world in some way. Yeah, it's still very white and it's still very conservative, but you know, I'm I'm happy to see that there is some some branching out and some um, embracing of different cultures that aren't just white Europeans playing fiddles. Yeah, as as much fun as white Europeans playing fiddles can be. But yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Who doesn't love a good good uh, a good kitchen party? Mm-hmm. So you mentioned obviously your piano teacher. So you were musical from a young age. Yeah, yeah, I played piano from when I was. Oh God, eight or nine till I was 18, 19, around there. Okay. My mom played, so I wanted to play too. And I, that's my, my musical talent was, was limited to, I can play by ear pretty well. Um, my brother has all the musical talent in the family. Like he picked up a banjo and was just like, now I'm a banjo player. I'm like, that's nice. Thanks for nerfing me on all the musical genes, mom and dad. This is great. <laughs> um, I also play guitar very badly, but, uh, yeah, so I got into piano when I was young, and then around the same time, I heard Tori Amos on Much Music, and that was a whole can of worms to be opened. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're about to open that can of worms, I think. Yes. <laughs> I can't think of a better segue. Yeah. So, let's do it. So we have Tori Amos. What song do we have? Uh, we have my favorite song of hers of all time, Siren. Ah. I'm really glad that you picked this because it's such a good one. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you said that because I get a lot of flack from people who are like, oh, it's just a stupid B-side. Why do you like it? I mean, A, it's on a soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> B, uh, <laughs> it's like the perfect bridge between Boys for Paley and Choir Girl Hotel. So. Isn't it? Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. It's so good. <laughs> so why don't you tell me a little bit more about why it's your favorite? Uh, it's like a little kind of emo teenager stuff. Um, That's appropriate. <laughs> So, like I said, growing up in a small town, not really fitting in, um, around the time I was, like, peaking a tour, I'm still peaking a tour, it's a lie, but I was really <laughs> starting to embrace the obsession, let's say. Um, I was also really, really struggling with the fact that I was super queer. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, it was, like, the worst thing to be in Cape Breton in my friend circle, I use the term friend very loosely, by the way, uh, was to be anything that wasn't the norm. So I was just surrounded by not even like casual homophobia, just like full on homophobia and bigotry. Uh, And it was just not fun. And I was really, really depressed. I didn't have a lot of good friends. I had people I hung out with because circumstances allowed for it. Mm -hmm. And I was really miserable when I was in grade nine and 10, I guess. And um, my parents and I, you know, we didn't fight, but we weren't like on great terms because, you know, angry teenager dealing with stuff, not want to talk about it. And then them being frustrated with the surly teenager <laughs> inhabiting the room upstairs. <laughs> um, so I was, I was really not in a good place emotionally or, or mentally. And I was, you know, contemplating suicide for a little while. And then oddly enough, the place where I met you from, uh, at forms, a guy I know on at forms sent me a mixtape. 
and it included a bunch of B-sides I hadn't heard. And the first two were the intro from Great Expectations and Siren. And when I heard those first lines of Siren, you know you're going to lie to you in your own way. I was just like, oh, I've been seen. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> it's like, cool, 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 cool. Called out by my favorite artist. Love that. <laughs> and then it, as it goes and you and you get through the the almost brave, almost pregnant, almost in love as all these like little failures of life. And that's kind of was like, I understand that because I feel like right now I'm not going to have any of this as a queer person living in Cape Breton. Yeah. But there is also that that hopeful sounding um, don't need the light on to guide you through the southern lands. Like you don't need that light. You can get out of this. You can go find what you need. You can go find the good place. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of latched onto that, and it kind of really got me through uh, the, the really shitty parts of high school yeah. and the really shitty parts of university when I had an unrequited crush that was not fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, as you say, like there's a sense of desperation in the song, but absolutely not defeat. Like it's, it's, yep. it's very energetic. Um, it is, and, yeah. and searching kind of, you know? Yeah. And then when I found out the circumstances around her writing it, you've read piece by piece, right? I have. Uh, it's a pretty harrowing story if, if you want to tell the listeners. Yeah. Um, the, I'll, I'll give the, the Cliff Notes version. Um, she was writing it in, I think it was somewhere in England or Ireland, but she was in, in the Europe, in Europe somewhere. And she was in the middle of a miscarriage trying to handle all of this you know, all the scoring, all the arrangements, all of everything for a soundtrack with a deadline and and losing a baby. Again, I think this was her second miscarriage. And the doctor she was seeing was, I'd say not the most ethical guy from what the book says. And he was telling her all these things, you know, all these procedures she had to do and, and surgeries. And she was like, I don't think this is normal. So she called her sister, who is a doctor. And she was like, T, get away from him right now. He is going to kill you. So she finished recording and then flew back to the States and her sister helped her out. But I was just like, if she can handle all of that, all of that stress and all of that trauma, mm-hmm while writing this amazing song, then surely I can handle being gay in a small town and getting out and just and power through it. Yeah. Yeah. And as a piano player, I would imagine this song has always impressed me because it has that restless piano line. It just never stops, you know? Yeah. It's, I, and I've tried to, I've tried to play it so many mm-hmm. times. I can't, I just, I need like five more fingers to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is, this is, Tori Amos's classical abilities, you know, on, on show, which is always nice. Yeah. Um, and I, so, I've seen her do it three times and it was just amazing every time. Oh, great. So how did you discover Tori Amos? You mentioned that you got this song on a mixtape, but you were already a fan when you received a, a, a mixed CD, I guess, or tape of yeah. B-sides. Like, I'm dating myself when I say mixtape. Oh God. <laughs> well, this podcast is called, this is your mixtape. So like... <laughs> It's um, not for the young ones. <laughs> good, okay, good point. Good point. <laughs> um, I was actually, I was pretty young. I think I was around, like, when I got into the rankings around that time, I was also, like, really trying to find music I liked. And I remember I saw, I think it was Crucify, the video on her Much Music Spotlight. Yes. There's an old throwback for for the the old ones listening. Um, I remember <laughs> the, just old kind of, Canadians, the old Canadians, even. The old Canadians. Go on. <laughs> uh, I remember watching the video, and I was just like, what the, what is this? Who is this? This is not a dude with a guitar and spandex pants and big hair. This is a woman playing piano and doing a weird dance. I don't know what this is. And I kind of filed her name away because that's I need to watch for this. This is cool. And I kept seeing videos and hearing her occasionally on the radio in Cape Breton. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, there was one DJ I guess who would you know sneak in something cool on the weekends. <laughs> um, and then yeah, I just kind of I just kept following her if I could see her or if, uh, not see her in concert, but just like see videos here and there. And then when Boys to Pele came out, I saw the video for Kyle Light Sneeze, and I was just, I have to buy this record. This is amazing. And I probably should have started with Little Earthquakes, because Boys to Pele, when I was 13, was a little over my head. Yeah, it's it's challenging. <laughs> it's a challenge. A professional mm-hmm. widow, my poor parents. Oh, my God. <laughs> the amount of times they had to hear that last line. <laughs> so loud. In the house. Oh, God. I've just, I wanted to send them an apology letter. <laughs> well... The last line for listeners who might not know is, well, what, do you want to say it? <laughs> Give me peace, love, and a hard cock. And she just <laughs> screams that out. And uh, yeah, the constant like pride parade of music and 
<laughs> TV shows I had going through my bedroom, like unknowingly pride parade of stuff going through my bedroom. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm so sorry I tortured you for most of my teen years. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I was a fan for, you know, from a very young age, but I got really, really into her when I was like 13, 14. Yeah. I mean, there is something about that classic era Tori Amos that really speaks to the misfit in... I guess the misfit anywhere, but I, I always, I guess maybe because of my own experience, think about the misfit in the small town. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, it was cool because I was, you know, I was the weirdo. I was, the, I was always the weird kid. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> I was always the weird kid and uh, having someone like her who embraced the weirdness and, you know, would talk about taking drug trips with South American shamans and, and having visions and, you know, just putting it out there like it was a normal thing to do. Like, you know, I got up, put my socks on, had a vision. I was like, this is this is the kind of person who will understand me in some way if I ever had the chance to have a conversation with her. Were you actually like a rebel who took drugs and got in trouble or were you just sort of like attracted to it? Because, well, <laughs> <laughs> um, I never really got caught. I, was, I didn't do a lot of drugs. I smoked a lot of pot when I was younger, but I didn't really do hard drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always drove my drunk friends around. Yeah. Um, but when I was in university, I part. I went to, to St. Effects on the East Coast and that is a party school. So I definitely like went hard <laughs> in my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> your 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 teenage role model you finally got the <laughs> yeah i was yeah. just like yeah she, what's what's that wine she mentioned give me about oh that wine's 75 dollars. give me the cheapest version of that wine that i can find <laughs> at the nslc liquor store and uh, we'll, we'll have a have a party <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness i just remember i i being oh how old would i've been 16 when tavina's and back came out and 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 she talks about space cakes and I'm like, what are space cakes? And <laughs> I was such a goody goody though. And yet at the same time I was like learning all these things. So. Oh my God. Yeah. I remember listening to uh Daytura and I was just like, how many of these are drugs that she is growing in her garden? <laughs> like the entire song is a list of plants. And I was just like, cool. This is, were you on drugs when you wrote this? You must've been on drugs when you wrote yeah, this. Pro- like, yeah. Probably. My money is on yes. <laughs> yeah. More than likely. <laughs> Awesome. So you mentioned um, having like a large social circle, but not many good friends when you were a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like, do you want to say a bit more about how you got on with your peer group during that time or? Um, I just hung out with people like who lived near me or I had classes with um, or like one of my quote unquote best friends in high school. Like I knew her because our dads knew each other. Mm. Um, But again, like I was the weird kid who was always a little bit like left of center and was just a little strange. And I I liked a lot of stuff that my peer group wasn't into. Like every watch Saturday Night Live, but I liked the Saturday Night Lives from the seventies that my parents always quoted to me. So I was the one making like conehead references <laughs> when everybody else was like making references to um Mary Catherine Gallagher. Yeah. <laughs> Molly Shannon's character. So I was just like, I'm I'm there but like not really. When I discovered Riot Girl music, that really set me apart because then I became the weird feminist weirdo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, were you out in high school or? Oh, dear God, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good God. I hear you. <laughs> oh, that would, have been, that would have been, that would have been a, a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. do realize, though, now that mm-hmm. a lot of people I hung out with were queer in some capacity. Yeah. Do you think that you sort of sensed it and that drew you together or was it just chance? Uh, some of it was, we definitely were like side-eyeing each other. Like I can sense the gay about you. <laughs> <laughs> you give off the gay vibe. <laughs> yeah. There was, this, there was this one guy, he, um, he was a delightful guy. We actually went to a couple of high school dances. I'm pretty sure it does each other's beards just to like save face a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And everybody was just like, you guys are such a cute couple. And I was like, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. The disguise is working. And I was like, good, we have fooled the heterosexuals. This is amazing. Uh, and then I talked to him um, in our first year university, and he was just like, he was really, really drunk on MSN Messenger. And I was like, are you okay, buddy? And he's like, I just have a crush on this guy in my poli-sci class, and he's so cute. And then it was just five minutes later, I totally didn't tell you I was gay before this. And I was like, it's fine, it's fine. I already I already knew. <laughs> yes. And I was like, honey, I feel that. I have a crush on hockey player. Let's go. (laughs) Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. Are you still in touch with him? Uh, No, I actually, I I lost touch with him. I kind of wish I didn't, though, because he was one of the nice guys. And I I did have fun hanging out with him. That's a cute story. Well, you mentioned getting into Riot Girl music. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to move to the next song? 
Yeah, if, if you want to. Sure. Um, so what do we have? We have One Beat by Slater Kinney, my favorite band of all time. So you, you say Slater Kenny is your favorite band? Yes. Like of all time? Of all time. Make your case. Why are they so awesome? Uh, well, I mean, Riot Girl. That was my gateway into feminism. And Corin Tucker is, again, one of those voices and one of those people who's just like, her voice is so unique and she's just out there and it's not for everybody. My mother doesn't like her voice. My wife even is just like, love Slater Kenny. Let's have a little bit less sometimes in the house. Um, but it's one of those things where it was like unabashed feminism and openness about politics and and women's rights and queer rights Um, and they were actually one of the first bands I listened to where there was a really obvious queerness to it you know one of the songs is about her um, Corn Tucker and the guitar player Carrie Brownstein dating and breaking up and for me I was like oh this is an option this is an option you can be famous and you have this option to oh my god this is so cool (laughs) So um, I got into them in high school, and then when I was living in Calgary, which was a mistake, Calgary is like the Texas of Canada, um, I got really into um, feminism and women's studies in, in school, and I decided to write my thesis on Riot Girl music and how even though the movement is is technically done, the message still kind of permeates through a lot of the music the women in the industry or the movement are putting out now. Mm-hmm. So I picked One Beat as probably the most Riot Girl song in a post-Riot Girl era. Because if you if you read the, the lyrics, um, I'm a bubble in a sound wave, a sonic push for energy exploding like the sun. Um, and it goes kind of into a little heavier politics. This is the post-9-11 record. This is their first one post-9-11. Okay. It's, it's, the whole album is very political. And there's a line that says, if I'm to run the future, you've got to let the old world go. Yes. That was a lyric that I had picked out <laughs> <laughs> excellent because that's the one i when i heard mm-hmm. that i was like there it is that is what's wrong with politics as a whole they want the young generation to take over and and run things and fix it but they won't let go of the old ways so there's always this, this power struggle it seems between what you know our generation should be doing and what we you know you need to get a, get a buy a house and get an rsp well yeah. you screwed the world up and we can't do that now <laughs> exactly millennials are killing x it's like no <laughs> <laughs> or, or yes, but good. <laughs> it's like the letters are killing golf courses. Good, they're a waste of space. <laughs> they're terrible for the environment. Too. They're so bad. <laughs> I'm like, do you know how many like moose you've displaced in for this? Do you know how many mm-hmm. people are just like could live on this? Get away from me. How many? How much fertilizer you have to like flood to like have it be like that? Like oh, ugh, God. oh I know so much I water. Like, <laughs> oh, it's just the sign of so much elite, and I'm just like it's a, it's a waste. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The wasteful but, elite. That's what I call yeah. it. <laughs> and like you know things like oh well you young people are you know getting rid of your gender roles or you're changing gender roles it's like yes that is very much on purpose <laughs> yes that's the thing we're trying to do because we want people to feel welcome and accepted in this world yep. that you have all destroyed <laughs> yeah yeah exactly the uh, the weird sort of well why don't you want things to be just like they were when we were young and it's like well, no no because that's not that was... how this ever works because <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible <laughs> yeah and there's a there's another line in this um uh, is real change an illusion? Uh, could I turn this place all upside down and shake you and your fossils out? Yeah, and I love that because is it you know it can be a reference to um, like just the old ways of government and the old ways of society, or like a very very astute environmental yeah, <laughs> commentary. Yeah. Like we have to get away from the fossil fuels because we're going to ruin things a lot faster. Exactly, and I mean I guess if this was the post nine eleven. What year did it come out? Was it 2002, 2003? Uh, 2002, 2003. I I should know this, but... I'm just wondering if it's uh, interfacing with the invasion of Iraq. Yes, it was was, uh, the lead-up and invasion... Like, lead-up to and the invasion, this is when it kind of was being written. Um, There's actually a song on it called Far Away, and Corin wrote it when she was... um, waking up and to all the news of what was going on in New York and she had just given birth. So she, you know, was sitting on the couch, like feeding her son, watching yeah. as New York was falling to the ground. A scary time to have a baby. Very scary. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I would say pretty much any time in the last 20 years is a scary time to have a baby in my mind, but. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. 
And then they wonder why millennials are having fewer babies. <laughs> yeah, Anyways. my mother is finally, she's embraced my cat as like her grand cat. She'll send yeah. him presents for Christmas, you know, on his birthday. She'll call me and say, you know, how is, did you get him for anything for his birthday? I'm like, yeah, okay, yes, mom, we're doing that. Thank you. Yep, yep. <laughs> there were a few presents for our cat underneath the tree back home in Newfoundland this Christmas. That is so, so. cute. <laughs> so you mentioned um, being in Calgary. Yes. Um, what brought you to Calgary? I was dating somebody who was living there. Okay. And so when I finished my first degree at St. FX in Nova Scotia, um, I moved to Calgary. And that's when I went back to school and got into, you know, feminist education and learning and all that kind of stuff. And I wrote my thesis, like I said, on Slater Kinney and then went to grad school. And that took me back to Halifax. But I escaped grad school yes. <laughs> after a little while. Um, I like to call myself a grad school refugee. Well, me too. So I hear you. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, my plan was like, go, you know, MA, PhD, go teach. And then in the middle of the MA, I was just kind of looking around at this, this committee I was on and I'm like, nobody here even is acknowledging in a gender studies program that there are more genders than just two. And yeah. that they won't even acknowledge men as an option to discuss. Like we had a really good scholar on staff who her focus was men and masculinity and toxic masculinity, especially. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, we should be utilizing this because this is something that is so prevalent in society. It's even way before me too. Mm -hmm. But I was like, we should do this. And my the, the actual response I got was, we don't need to discuss men because they're the norm. Huh. And I was like, ah, okay. And I said, well, how about we just discuss, you know, multiple genders like you know transgender issues gender queer gender nope that's not real okay see ya i'm out yeah i would imagine yeah so I, when i left calgary went back to grad school and i left grad school and came to vancouver um i was i couldn't find a job for the first little while so i spent a lot of time just like taking my ipod for walks yeah and i would listen to janelle Monet obsessively <laughs> So that's like a perfect segue to into the next song. I want to. Are you ready to move on? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so our next song is from Janelle Monet. Uh, what do we have? Cold War. Ah, oh, I'm so happy. So I have a question for you first. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you, like, obviously you know the song. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. In, in fact, uh, if I were to pick five songs, this would also be my fourth song. So oh, go on. <laughs> cool. Okay. So I have always, from day one, heard of this and I thought of this as like a new queer anthem. Yes, 100%. Okay. I was, I was hoping we're on the same page. <laughs> uh -huh. I, I, I have called it a queer hymn, but anthem oh. works too. So. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. Actually, so, hymn probably works a little better. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, anthem or hymn, it's it's you know whichever sort of um, whichever model you want to use. But I'm interested in hearing uh, your thinking on this. So yeah, this one this one's gonna be a little difficult because it's, it's such a. I was I was like I said I was walking around Vancouver and I finally able to just kind of exist as as who I wanted to be mm -hmm. and just exist as a gay person. We lived in in the when I moved here we lived in in the gay village downtown and it was super refreshing for me to just like be out there and like wear my gay shirts and and look like how I did and not have it be an issue. So to have this song and have the like I I could tell inherently there was some like level of queerness in it mm -hmm. and I I just latched onto it and I was like yeah this is a thing like we're we're all fighting for this thing like we're fighting for something and for me it was like I was fighting for that 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 space like to go back to Siren like I found that southern land of gold I found that good place and I was there yeah yeah I mean and the song emphasizes over and over again like you've got to know what you're fighting for and yeah. like to be queer in a heterosexist society is basically to constantly struggle <laughs> and you need to know what it is you're struggling for and you need to sort of think about that and yeah. what are the battles you're going to wage and how, what are your tactics going to be. Um, and you have to be prepared that the straight people around you will not see the fight. Like it's a cold yeah. war. It's, it's not a, it's not a shooting war. It's just a sort of constant pressure and struggle and yeah it's a yeah it's a constant battle to find yourself and a constant mm -hmm. battle to, to find your identity within a society that was not built for you like yeah. that line i think it's the first verse you spend life fighting for your sanity mm -hmm. 
And mm-hmm. like we all make the jokes, oh my god, the straights are exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> Legitimately, yes. <laughs> but but they are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they are. I work with heterosexual they're lovely people, but sometimes I'm just like, oh my god, this is what you do? This is this is your life? Like really? <laughs> yeah. You guys don't seem like like anybody, like any of all my gay friends, like there's this inherent, like we get it, we just gel, it's a thing, shared history with the straights. It's just like, yeah, okay, that's nice. Yeah. Well, when you're in a queer crowd, you can relax a little bit more. And when you're in a mixed crowd or a straight crowd, you sort of have to watch yourself a little. Yeah. And that's, again, that's that inherent kind of like, how gay am I allowed to be in this kind of scenario like identify as non-binary and i'm not out to well now surprise i'm out to a lot of people now (laughs) Um, (laughs) i'll I'll leave that in if you're comfortable with it oh yeah yeah no it's fine great oh yeah i have i have a shirt that has a giant like fake plaid pocket on it that says they them like wonderful i'm not super like obvious with it Mm -hmm. um but i don't hide it but i like i am i am very kind of quiet about it in certain capacities just because i don't know the room sometimes yeah you when when you're in scenario where you don't know all the factors, it isn't always safe, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And this is one of the things I really liked about Janelle Monae as a person, is that she definitely embraced that kind of androgynous, um, masculine thing that I, I, at the time when I was listening to the song, I didn't quite have a handle on the gender identity thing. But I loved what she was doing, and I was just like, this is important. I need to, I need to watch this. This is from her breakthrough first album, and she would generally just wear a lot of tuxedos and suits. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the video for the song is one of my favorite things. It's just this, I mean, I know you've seen it. I'm describing yeah. it for the listener. It's <laughs> it's just this single shot of her, like, in a fairly close-up um, lip-syncing this song. And there's the lyric, I'm trying to find my peace. I was made to believe there's something wrong with me. Yep. And that's what she breaks in the video. And, like, oh, God. Like, yeah. that kills me oh it just destroys me what queer person can't feel that you know actually i debated getting that as a tattoo at some point just because Mm -hmm. it it resonated so strongly with me like we hear for so many years you know this gay is bad gay is bad and you don't deserve rights you guys can get married now why are you still fighting for things well because we don't have all the same rights we're not treated equally um and yeah we were made to believe something was inherently wrong with us yeah so, of course, I'm going to embrace this now and, and be proud about it. And the, the video actually kind of reminds me a little bit of Sinead O'Connor, Nothing Compares to You. Yeah, yeah, it's, and that, it's and similar. That sort of, yeah. That sort of like haunting kind of thing. And I, I love I love that whole like stark kind of contrast video where it's like you have to focus on just the artist and the song. Yeah. There's no flash. There's no storyline. It's just her face on the camera and you get her and the lyrics. It's it's pay attention. There's nothing to distract it. It's it's just the performance and the words. Yeah, yep. and I think that's I think this is the perfect kind of video for this song, just because it the, the the it's not like a heavy message, but it's definitely an important one. And I think if if she had a video like Pink, you know, the mm-hmm. flashy colors and the hover car and the dancers, the message may have been lost a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the the feel of those songs is is different. I mean, Pink yeah. is kind of about sort of playful enjoyment of sexuality, whereas this is a capital P political message. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my other favorite lines is "Bring wings to the weak and bring grace to the strong." Yep, that, I, I love it. That is something I have considered getting as a tattoo. <laughs> oh no way! Yeah. Oh, that'd be I, so cool. I, I I think of that as that is that is such a good guiding principle for life. Um, oh yeah. Like when you are in the position of strength, remember to be graceful and compassionate. And when you are in a position of weakness, you know. Yeah. You know, or if you see someone who's in a position of weakness, you know, help them. <laughs> like Yeah. Oh, it's it's perfect. It's it's that is that is what I aspire to have as my politics. So that that lyric. <laughs> yeah, and I mean it's it, it's a very political song, but when you get to that, it's just like this is a note that everybody working in in government should take into consideration because you know, or anybody with any kind of privilege mm-hmm. should take into consideration. Like even as a a white queer person, I do have a level of privilege than other people would have in the community. Like you know, trans people or indigenous people, queer people. Like it's just I I can kind of cruise through the world relatively unharmed, whereas mm-hmm. you know. 
We all know the stats about trans women of color and their and their hate crime rates, and Canada's terrible t- treatment of Indigenous people. Which not getting any better, guys. Let's work on that. Yeah. <laughs> so I tr- I try to you know if I have a, a platform to speak to anybody you know, a crowd of more than three people on a topic. I'll try to elevate voices, you know, that aren't mine, just because I do have that that space to to do it. Absolutely. So you mentioned walking around Vancouver, listening to your headphones. Yes. Uh, so I want to hear about your relationship with Vancouver a bit, and I'm thinking about how if you explored the city while listening to, say, the Arc Android, you you might sort of have specific associations between places and songs. Yeah, it's. Um... I, I love Vancouver. I just, it's a love-hate thing with Vancouver, honestly. I love it, but goddamn, it's expensive here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very expensive, and it's um, it rains a lot. But for the most part, like, like I said, it's I can I can move through the world with relative anonymity. You know, I don't have my neighbors, you know, peeking in my windows and knowing every detail about my life. Um, but I have a very distinct memory of walking... Um, down Davie Street towards English Bay. If anybody's not familiar with Vancouver, Davie Street is the gay village. And uh, just as I had hit Davie and Burrard, where the gay village starts, all the the street banners turn to rainbows and pride flags. And I hit there just as I said, do you know what you're fighting for? And I'm looking at all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, this is what we're fighting for. This is, it was a really cool moment in my head. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I mean, especially... When you think about how a, like a neighborhood like that couldn't exist a couple of generations ago, you know. Yeah, and it was it was for me it was cool because you know I was I was kind of walking through what she was singing about in the song. Like we were, I'm going through our place and I'm going through something that was fought for by people. And um, I was as the song was ending, I was just passing Little Sisters, which uh, for people who aren't aware uh, is I think maybe one of the first gay bookstores in Canada. Um, and they had a hell of a time with customs in the 90s because yeah. everything they were trying to order from the States was being held up and destroyed because they thought it was obscene and pornographic. And so they, were, they had a fight. Again, they had a fight. And they had to fight the government and say, look, what you're doing is technically discrimination against this community who needs this. And yeah. they, they won. There's still there's still issues with customs and there's yeah. still things being being sent back. And, I mean, that just makes me think about what's happening on the Internet now with social media and- media coming down on queer content yeah tumblr did well i mean tumblr's i got five porn bots follow me in the last five days i'm like guys you're, you're doing it wrong i have seen more dicks on tumblr post <laughs> than pre and i'm like all that this policy change did was drive all the queer people like who are sort of political and having conversations and providing resources for the community off this platform because i'm still seeing like blowjobs and whatever oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh. oh yeah, I, I had I had a, a MILF chaser blog follow me <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I didn't need to see any of that. Oh god. <laughs> nope. But yeah, it's it's this the censorship and the and the trying to erase it. I read somewhere or I saw it on Twitter that Grinder or something is banning underwear shots. Yeah. I was like, uh, what the, that's the point of the hookup app. Scruff you can have scruff. in your profile picture. It's not even like underwear shots. It's included in the ban are uh, expressions of affection down to hugging. You can't what? have two men hugging in your profile picture. But it's an app for you guys I to know. find dudes. Like this is It's the, a gay hookup app. That's the point of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. You want um, to see the dude you're gonna hook up with. Like that's the whole point of yeah. it. Well I mean you can have you can have basically your LinkedIn profile picture. <laughs> oh my god. You can start, start like wearing a harness over like a suit to sneak exactly. it in. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I mean like scruff isn't something that you use to sort of like find a nice boy to bring home to your mom. <laughs> No, this is a guy you're just going to meet for a night and then be like, see him awkwardly at the coffee shop a week later and be like, oh God, hi, how are you? Best case scenario becomes a nice coffee friend that you have lunch with from time to time. It's yeah. Like, yeah. And maybe give a blowjob. It's, it's all good. Exactly. That, that is the nature of gay male friendship. Like, uh, that's just how, that's just our handshake. <laughs> see, now I wondered why, what that was when I go to the gay clubs. Oh, they're just saying hi. That's nice. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Oh my god. Well, I mean, we laugh, but like, there, the censorship that um, 
what was the name of the bookstore in Vancouver? Little Sisters. Little Sisters. The censorship that Little Sisters was fighting in the 90s didn't, like, they won their battle, but, like, yeah. the war is still ongoing. Like, that is still being fought on other fronts now. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's just, it's just shifted, and it's it's not ideal. But, I mean, you know, we, we do have the village, but the village even in, in Vancouver is, is shrinking. And then... People being priced out? Yeah, things are being priced out. Things are being torn down and moved. Like, when I, when I lived there, it was, it was pretty gay. But now when I go down there for the Pride Parade, it's a lot of families and, like, tech guys because they can afford to live there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then there's the whole thing about Toronto and your police fucking up with the gay serial oh, killer. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just – at some point, I would like to just stop having to fight for basic human rights just to, mm-hmm. to exist as queer people. Yep. I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I – it's very frustrating because the way that the last couple of years have gone, my my sort of me- short to medium term hope is that things don't get worse, which mm-hmm. is kind of depressing. Um, you want th- you want to fight for things to get better. You want the sense that things will get better. And there are areas where things are getting better. It's not all hopeless, but – No, no. Yeah. It's – um. It's it's a tough patch to hoe. It is, yeah, and like, and part of why I, I still listen to Cold War and still and latch on to this kind of stuff is, you know, there is that hopefulness, and you know, there is that like, it's kind of like it's like a battle cry almost. It's like you can it's, you just listen to it and you're like, okay, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, we can fight. We're gonna it sucks. We're gonna keep fighting, and we're gonna f- we're gonna find our place. It's a fast song, which is what always strikes me as interesting. It is because it is. Of of songs that have made me cry in my life, it's probably has the fastest BPM. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, totally. <laughs> did you see her when she was on tour uh, for the latest I album? I did not. I oh. what happened? Uh, there was some reason I couldn't go. I don't remember now. I was going to ask you what you thought of Dirty Computer. Love it. It was my album of the year. It was just I could not believe how good it was. And when I saw the tour, it was actually. Um, sadly fitting that it was the anniversary of the pulse nightclub shooting Oy. and there was a moment of silence before the show um and it was it was a very politically charged show but it was a very affectionately charged show as well like she was uh, for i like that she she kind of got the band to quiet down and she went along the front row and was like your cool hair i like that or like your shirt i like that that's nice and she found a couple of black girls in the front row. It's like your hair. I love that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and I was like, good. Yes. Yes. Good. Do that. <laughs> affirmation. <laughs> yes. Positive affirmation and, and representation matters. And this is, you know, everything that's important. And, but she did, she did do cold war at the show. Nice. It was a really cool rendition. And I'm kind of sad mm-hmm. you didn't see this, see this tour because it starts off really slow. I'm going to look up, uh, uh, YouTubes and hopefully I'll find one. That's not, terrible quality because <laughs> i want i'm curious it was really cool because she started off with like a little bit of an improv thing and then it was really slow and i was sitting with chloe and i was like is this cold war and she was like i don't know it's so slow <laughs> and then she got to the do you know what you're fighting for and i was just i just started crying yeah i was just like holy shit i'm, I'm gonna see her do cold war in person i said i just wept through the whole performance <laughs> It's it's a very powerful song. Like for those of us who uh connect with it, like I guess that's true of any song. I guess you could say that about anything. But like yeah. it's it's very, very fucking real. Like Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, and and for me personally, like sitting there in a room, like it was probably the, the queerest show I've been to mm-hmm. besides like Beth Ditto, I think. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sitting there and I'm looking around and there's all these, like, there's people in drag, there's, like, gender group people and, you know, a very diverse crowd. And it's the anniversary of the the Pulse nightclub shooting and she's on stage just belting out about, like, fighting for everything. And I'm just this weirdo in the, in the balcony crying. Yeah. <laughs> crying over the dance song. Do you feel ready to move to the next song? Yeah, sure. I'm really excited about this one, too. I was I was just listening to the songs in preparation. I hadn't got to this one yet. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I should have tweeted about this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, again, so did yeah. you know, do you know Dessa or Doomtree? I don't. But why don't you give our little radio DJ introduction so before we start talking about oh, it. Oh, so next we have uh, Fire Drills. Uh, it's by Dessa. Cut my hair, take my kids down. A woman on her own. Keepsakes and parking tickets on the dashboard. 
I'm here to file my report as the vixen of the wolf pack. Tell patient zero he can have his rib back. I feel like most people kind of don't know who she is. She is a um, rapper and writer uh, from Minnesota. She was initially part of a rap collective called Doomtree. Those guys are great. Please check them out. <laughs> um, and then she started doing solo work, I guess, in 2007-ish. I can't remember the dates. I'm terrible with the dates. I need to be better with dates. <laughs> um, but I, I found her on a BuzzFeed list in like 2011. And I was like, Okay, cool. Female rappers you need to listen to. And I was like, Aquafina's on there. I like Aquafina. Yeah, I, I know like it's Aquafina. all these. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Dessa, who's this? So I watched the video and I was just like, oh, this this is cool. I yeah. played that song. It was called Dixon's Girl. I played that song so much. I can't play it in the house anymore. <laughs> Chloe hears the first note and she's like, turn it off. <laughs> I can't do it. You played it to death. Um, so any, oh, anybody who's a fan of Hamilton, uh, Dessa has a song on some side project thing that Lin-Manuel uh, Miranda did. Um, I think it's called Celebration. So this is my very first encounter with Dessa. And, oh, I'm um, going to pick this one then. Oh, it's so good. It's amazing. It's, um, well, why don't you describe the song to the listener? Like, what's it about? Uh, I've, I've, I mean, there's a lot of open to interpretation discussion around lyrics. I've kind of taken it as a bit of a me too anthem because mm-hmm. when she re- i know she was writing prior to the explosion of the movement but when it came out it was rare at that time where every woman i know was just like five seconds away from going completely postal mm-hmm. um and there's an amazing amazing line in it called, uh that says uh tell patient zero he can have his rib back yes and i was when i heard that i sat bolt upright and was like whoa okay dessa is out of fucks to give <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I heard that and I was like, well, that's fantastic because it's patient zero implies a disease. The disease is, well, it's, it's your toxic masculinity. It's perfect. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I, I appreciate this a lot because, um, in the rap collective she was part of, she was the only woman. And then the, the first line is I've been Wendy living with the lost boys. That's a very loaded statement to make because Wendy with lost boys was very much a mother figure. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, you're doing your job and you're on the road with these guys and you're still trying to like be the mom of the group of mm-hmm. adult dudes. That has to suck. I, I've got I've got the genius page for it open here because this is such a lyrically rich rich song. I want to go deep on it. Yeah. Um I'm here to file my report as the vixen of the wolf pack. Tell patient zero he can have his rib back. I mean Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the second verse is what when I really went from that's what made me sort of sit up and take notice um, where she's talking about basically how women are encouraged to be careful and look after themselves and be vigilant. Um, stay close, hems low, safe inside. That formula works if you can live it, but it works by putting half the world off limits. Oh, yeah. And the idea that women inhabit a smaller world than men do, if they follow these rules, they're supposed to follow for their own air quotes, you know, for their own safety. Oh, like... It, and it's delivered with such a punch. Oh yeah, and this is this is partially why I I picked this song and why I love her so much is because lyrically there's so much to to get into, and this her delivery of it it's just it's it's like a restrained anger. Yeah, it's a very it's, I'm not like a it's not like a, I'm fed up. It's just like I am so done with this bullshit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite lines is uh, "Cut my hair, tape my tits down." A woman on her own must be from out of town. Uh, funny, you don't know the concessions that you're making until you catalog them. And I, first of all, that line for me, I, I definitely look a little more masculine than I did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I get called dude and ma'am multiple times a day, <laughs> depending on what kind of hat I wear. Um, and there was one night Chloe and I were walking down Main Street and not a super sketchy part, but not like a great part. Mm-hmm. And there were these two drunk guys coming towards us and Chloe was, I could see, I see her getting a bit tense and I had on a big, like bulky like quicksilver style skateboard jacket in a toque and boots and uh these guys were staggering towards us and they're coming up and they look at club look at me ah bro ah, have a good night and i was like <laughs> yep <laughs> kept going and chloe was just like you're okay and i was like yeah, i'm fine and i was like look they looked at me looked at you and we're like let's not hassle this lady with her dude here let's just go and i'm like it's it's sad that like i have to 
you know, look as tough as I can mm-hmm. or look as masculine as I can to feel safe walking around at night. Like, we have to have this conversation of don't be a rapist when it should just be fucking common knowledge. Don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, exactly. Exactly. Um, you're making me think about talking about your friend in high school and you were each other's beard. And, <laughs> and, and the unknowing beards. Like, yeah, they're like, well... The people have made a like uh, a, a somewhat false assumption, but it keeps me safe. You know? Yeah, and yeah. and the follow up to that that line, um, the concessions until you catalog them, and then by then there are many, and you're battle hardened. Yep. Like when I go out at night, I put on the "don't fuck with me" face mm-hmm. because I know that if I get like if I'm if I get on the wrong bus and there's a gaggle of drunk dudes who are obnoxious, like it's going to be a problem. So I try not to like make eye contact with anybody, and it's just like I, I'm so hyper aware of my surroundings when I go out now. Especially sometimes, depending if I'm going to a club downtown, a club downtown. If I'm going downtown at night to like I call it the the straight strip, mm-hmm. <laughs> Granville, Granville Street on the weekend is very much like club, 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 mm-hmm. and I don't do that stuff. But if I'm down there for a concert, I'm very aware of how I look compared to everybody else. And how I present myself to the world, and I'm constantly a little bit like doing like a head on the swivel. Like, where where could I possibly be getting any kind of hassle from? Yep, yep. Which sucks. It does. It's tiring. <laughs> it is. Um, it's and it's funny because well, it's not funny. No, well, it's not haha funny. Okay, so like my position here is sort of like I am a, a very masculine presenting guy and I can toggle how gay I come across. Like I can pass it straight if I need to. And mm-hmm. I do if I don't feel particularly safe in the situation. But it means that I've had experiences like, you know, I'm in a strange city and I'm walking out at nighttime and I'll put my headphones on and listen to music as I walk alone at night. That's an incredible amount of privilege. And when I was, you know, 22 or something, I didn't quite register that this is not something that many, a lot of people can't do that, or Mm -hmm. they run a big risk if they do. Or even if they do do it and they, they're not going to be comfortable the whole time, they're going to be hyper vigilant and hyper alert of their surroundings. Yeah. And it's, like hearing this song today, it wasn't telling me anything I didn't already know necessarily, although mm-hmm. it was very exciting to hear it stated so strongly and 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 powerfully. Um, but it makes me think about how I don't know if music can be used to sort of have uh, lead other people to that realization. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm hoping that with this song, like Dessa is, she has a lot of fans who came over from from Doomtree, which was an all guy band. So there's a lot of dudes who follow them around. I'm hoping that, you know, some of those dudes will hear this song and kind of rethink their stance and rethink like, oh, maybe I shouldn't like walk too closely behind a woman at night because maybe she thinks I'm creepy. And uh, I love I love that line. Um, I think a woman's worth. I think that she deserves a better line of work than motherfucking vigilance. Don't give me vigilance. It's such a simple request. Like, don't make me be hyper aware and like just let me live my life. But I can't. Uh, running fire drills. I mean, the metaphor of the title. Yeah. Sort of like <laughs> constantly sort of practicing for the emergency that could happen at any time. Oh, yeah. Totally. I, even when like there's a, a a bar up the street from our new apartment, and I'm there like every every couple of days just to have like a happy hour pint and go home. But when I leave, my first thing I do is check the d- very darkened door next to the bar, mm-hmm. see if anybody's like lurking there because there's a bus stop and there's some sketchier types that hang around there. And then the next next thing I do is figure out which is going to be the quickest way for me to get home and not encounter anybody going through the park. And it's like usually I don't want to go through the park because side note we think the park is haunted (laughs) and that alone is creepy Um, but i also don't want to take a longer route down a busy street to go down a quieter street you know right like i'm always just kind of thinking like what is the best way to get where i have to go and the quickest and the safest yeah and you know like i said i I do look pretty masculine and I, i don't think i can pass as a dude but i can definitely confuse people sometimes which is beneficial. Like we were downtown one night in Gastown, which is like the becoming more gentrified club area, pub area of Vancouver. And I was again wearing, I, I had a mohawk, I was wearing a shirt and tie. I was, had a big bulky jacket on and this guy dropped his lighter and I just kind of grabbed it and tossed it to him. I was like, here you go, bro. And kept going. He's like, thanks, dude. Wait, what? 
And by the time he kind of figured out, like, wait a minute, that wasn't maybe a guy. We were like a block away and Chloe was like, you just blew his mind. (laughs) (laughs) But I was like, yeah, but thank God we're far enough away now that if he was pissed off about this, nothing's going to happen. And she was like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I I still don't understand why he would possibly be pissed off about that. I mean, I know, obviously, evidence shows that this is a very frequent thing, but what is people's problem? Seriously, I honestly have no idea. Maybe it's just like they think it's a deceit thing. Like, I, you know, I'm assigned female at birth, but I don't look or act it <laughs> really. Um, like, I wear a binder. I wear mostly men's clothing. Um, I had a really fun, I had a really funny story about like how I was clocked as definitely not <laughs> female a little while ago. We were hanging out at a at a bar on a main street, and we ran into a woman we know. Um, her boyfriend works at the brewery we hang out at, and we were chatting about um, it's like gender theory and gender topics and whatever, as you tend to do with mm. people. Like you do. <laughs> like, yeah, just normal light conversations like gender politics in 2018. And she was like, I need to ask you guys a question about um, terms for people's identity. And she's like, I know what, you know, gay, straight, bisexual, pansexual. Um, but she's like, in terms of gender presentation, what, like, what is, like, is it cisgendered? And I was like, yeah, they're cisgendered and transgendered and gender fluid. And she looks at Chloe and she's like, okay, so you're cis and I'm cis and you, I have, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, good eye, very good eye. I'm glad you noticed that. <laughs> Let me use this time to educate you. <laughs> And she was actually, like, really receptive. She was like, okay, yeah. so what pronouns would you like? Can you explain a bit about that? And I was like, this is the kind of interaction I love. Yeah. Because it's not like I'm a lab rat. It's just like I want to be able to treat you with respect. And I, I'm sorry I didn't give you the impression that this is a thing you could tell me. People who have not been educated are not necessarily to blame for no. not being educated. And it's just all about how what attitude do you bring to, like, trying to – learn (laughs) yeah and and my thing is is as long as somebody is respectful and they're like i want to learn i want to know you know the right way to to address people even my mom like she called me she's like i have a transgender friend she's she's transitioning to female like how do i address her like female just use she her pronouns Mm -hmm. okay and i was like don't ask for her name prior to transition don't ask for anything about in the past just go forward knowing her as you do now yep and if she feels comfortable telling you anything just be supportive and I've I've since met her friend. She's very lovely. Um, and mom was just like, you know, thank you very much. I didn't want to do anything to upset her because, you know, being transgender in some very small town is not the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> and and your mom's questions were coming from a place of care. She didn't yeah. want to hurt this person. Yeah. yeah. She was just like, I want to be as supportive and open and as understanding as I can be. What do I do? And that's and that's the kind of thing where I I appreciate it and and I think that like going back to like that guy on Gastown being like what the fuck yeah. like, I think there is a level of confusion and a lack of understanding and a definite lack of education but for some people it's that understanding is is going to be read as the lack of understanding can be seen as I only know these two things and you're not one of them therefore you're lying to me and therefore I'm pissed yeah I mean yeah I don't know why it matters to them but I see. I can't I can't wrap my head around it. Your explanation is makes makes it <laughs> it's probably right. <laughs> I don't, I don't I, I'm just speaking from my own experience. Like yeah. it's it's definitely uh, like it's just people see it as a lack of sincerity because it doesn't fit into what they view as reality. Right. My big plan was to uh, to go get a PhD and teach the masses about gender theory, and then I realized I would never get a job. <laughs> Basically, I'm doing everything I would have done if I was. Uh, getting my PhD in teaching, I'm just doing it for fun now. <laughs> I, I, as someone who was midway through a PhD before I left, I my sense of things is if you had stayed in that route, you wouldn't have the time or energy to do a lot of those things. Academia is very draining in terms of just administrative tasks and and applying for grants and things like that. So. Yeah, I feel like I made the right choice. Like, there's a, every now and then I'm just like, oh god, I'd love to write a paper about this. I'm like, wait, I have a podcast. I can just go on my podcast and rant about this for ten minutes Absolutely. and get it off my chest. <laughs> Absolutely, and you can you can write a little article that's not in a scholarly journal that's behind a paywall, but is actually on the internet where you know hundreds or potentially thousands of people might read it. <laughs> yeah, like I was like, I don't need to have letters behind my name to give me some sort of credibility as an, an educated queer. I'm living a queer life. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> Go to queer school and get your queer credentials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's your source on that? Uh, me. 
my existence. <laughs> <laughs> Me, bracket, 2018. <laughs> exactly. Citation. My life. <laughs> Citation, Sunday morning. <laughs> so if listeners are interested in hearing your podcast or getting in touch with you or things like that, where can they look? Um, I don't have Facebook because Facebook is evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I do social media for our podcast. We are WBB underscore podcast on Twitter. Um, our logo is uh, Zena's Chakram, a couple of beer mugs, and uh, Gabrielle's weapon in the later seasons, uh, her size, and they have little rainbow handles. <laughs> so if you see that, then you you found the right place. We're called Warriors, Bards, and Brews. All right. So if I search for that in you know iTunes or Overcast or whatever, it'll pop up. Awesome. We are on Stitcher and iTunes and uh, Player FM, I believe. Nice. Very cool. And... My personal Twitter is Sarah underscore M underscore G. Great. I'll have links to those in the show notes if listeners are interested. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Yay. (laughs) Many thanks to Sarah for sharing their life in music with us. This is your mixtape is a proud part of the Megaphonic Podcast Network. You can check out all of our fancy little podcasts at megaphonic.fm. Since this episode with Sarah is pretty heavy on the Canadian content, why not check out a part of our Scaritage, where Adam and a different Sarah take an affectionate yet critical look at Canadian horror movies. For more information about this episode of This Is Your Mixtape, you can check out the show notes at megaphonic.fm mixtape slash 31. My name is Michael Collins, and you can find me on Twitter at EarlKing, while this show is also on Twitter at This Is Your Mix. You can also email the show at mixtape at megaphonic.fm. And hearing from listeners makes my day, so please do drop me a line. If you want to support the podcast, there's two things you can do that are really helpful. The first is tell people about it. And the other is to leave a review on iTunes. Go over, give me a few stars, write a few kind words. It really helps with the mysterious magic of the algorithms. I hope you've enjoyed today's mix, and we'll see you next time.